Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. All right, guys, uh, let's open up our Bibles now to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 12 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, if you're a guest with us, uh, please feel to, free to stand up. We've got Bibles in the back, and that's our gift to you. Um, as you turn to Matthew chapter 7, let me review. We talked about a passage of Scripture uh, last Sunday that really may be more popular than John 3.16. Do not judge, right? So, uh, so that you won't be judged. We, we discussed how the world loves this verse and how the world, the culture, really the mindset says you have no right to judge me. And, and more specifically, you don't have the right to condemn me. Uh, people defend their behavior and, and they ask, well, wait a second, time out. Who gave you the right to judge me. So Jesus taught us within his Sermon on the Mount last week, um, we had several key points. Let's start with, with uh, the definition of judgment, what we mean by this. Declaring, proclaiming, and, and announcing that another person is guilty. That's what judgment is. So uh, one of the, the first key point from last week we talked about how disciples are to be merciful and not judgmental. Uh, we have to have mercy on one another and not jump to conclusions about other people. Why? Why are we to be merciful? Well, because God gave his mercy to you. Number two from last week, we talked about how to judge another person really is to play God. When you judge another person's motives, you're playing God because we, we never have the whole story, do we? Uh, it's not healthy for us to tell ourselves a false story on why somebody does what they do. And then really when we, when we do that, we're believing a lie. So that's not healthy. Key point number three from last week, we said that the first principle of judgment is to begin with ourselves. Right? This key point goes back to mercy. Before we start telling people what to do and how to think or how to live, we need to look in our rearview mirror and ask this question. This, this question is so good. Have I ever been wrong? Have I ever been wrong? To consider whether or not you could be wrong at this moment by making another judgment, it is so, that is healthy. To make sure that you got all the facts and for us to zip it when we need to zip it. Key point number four from last week, we talked about how both the splinter and the log consist of the same exact material. This key point comes from Jesus' hyperbolic teaching about removing a beam of wood and also that, uh, that splinter in somebody else's eyes because we're, we're often harshest on people who struggle um, with the same 
that they're struggling with the same sins that we are. And we can see that. We identify those things. So we tend to be the harshest on those, on those people. Key point number five from last week, we said that whatever sins that you struggle with personally are the sins that you're going to point out in those most easily. So those two things overlap. Number six from last week, Jesus forbids the open criticism of others. He does not forbid the silent evaluation of others. And that's a big one. There's a difference there. Number seven, judgment is done through announcement once again discernment through silence. And today, Jesus really, he sets us up beautifully for going back into this, this concept of learning how to pray and, and what, that, what that looks like for our life. You know, uh, throughout the sermon uh, on the mount here, Jesus has taught us how to pray and how not to pray. Jesus has given us a pattern for prayer, the Lord's Prayer, He has also shown us that the more that you know, the less you need by teaching about money and possessions. He has taught us about the anxiety that those possessions bring. And then today what he does is he brings us right back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. And he says this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Why do I want to do that? Because all these things are going to be provided for you. So understanding that background, this verse, Matthew 6.33, is crucial for today's lesson. Isolating today's text from its original setting within the Sermon on the Mount, it really is deadly. The the standard that Jesus sets here uh, within his Sermon on the Mount, it's not only impossible to achieve, but it really is terrifying as well. I mean, who is adequate to be poor in spirit? Who is sufficient to live a life of complete humility? Who is faultless within the purity of their own hearts? I mean, how on earth can we live up to these impossible standards? We can't. But what we can do is to be forgiven. We need to be cleansed. We need to be purified from all of these things. And and we need divine help. We need God's grace more than our next breath. So practically speaking, where does this help come from? And better yet, who provides this kind of help? Well, let's find out. If you would, please stand now for the reading and the honoring of God's word. So just as you sang those beautiful songs to the Lord this morning, let's... Uh, Raise our voices up and read the scripture back to him, starting in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread... We'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the law 
and the prophets. Dear friends, these are the very words from the authoritative, the inerrant, the infallible word of Almighty God. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, the psalmist writes, I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, and that is to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. Father in heaven, we do pray that today. We pray that we can lay the burdens that we have in the back of our mind, that we can lay those at the foot of the cross. We pray that we, as we have gathered here as your church, that we recognize where you have us and that you would give us this desire to see you face to face, that you would allow us and show us how to seek you uh, this week and teach us this amazing text. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a seat, guys. Thank you. Starting in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. So from last week's teaching on judging others, how do we know whether someone is a dog or a hog? How do we know if somebody is a, a wolf in sheep's clothing? How do, we, how do we know if somebody is a brother or sister in Christ? Well, we have to pray and ask for discernment, and that's where Jesus leads us today. Jesus had already taught us four lessons on prayer so far in his sermon, and now he provides a lesson. He says, ask and seek and knock. In Greek, these, these verbs are all in the present tense, meaning keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. As disciples of Jesus, we are to persist in, in prayer as long as the problem or the burden remains. And as a review, it's always good to begin our prayers, number one, by asking for forgiveness. And number two, praising God for that forgiveness that only comes uh, through grace alone, faith alone, and in Christ alone. And then number three, after we've done those two things, then we petition God. We ask God uh, to help us where we are. Notice that our Heavenly Father is a God who hears. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. So ask, it implies for this legitimate need. So the picture here in this verse is that there is, there's a humility that we come in asking. It's like we're asking our boss in a way. This, this, our boss, this person oversees our livelihood to a certain extent, so we, we usually come to him being respectful. Now here's a perfect example of how not to do this. Uh, it comes from Luke chapter 18, verse 10. Jesus says this. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Whenever you see tax collector in the gospel, just write sinner. Just write sinner. That's who, that's who he's talking about. Sinner. So the Pharisee, he was standing and praying like this about himself. Now picture this. Picture this guy. God, man, I thank you that I am not like other people. Wow. Wow. I'm not greedy. 
I'm not unrighteous. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not even like that tax collector way over there. And then he gives, this is so funny, in verse 12, he gives God his resume. He says, God, I fast twice a week. And God's going, wow, man, that's, I, I, I'm so, he, he goes on to say, I give a tenth. God, hey, in case you, you haven't checked the, uh, the spreadsheet yet, I've tithed. I give a whopping 10% of everything that you give me back to the church. And I, I keep 90%, but I give 10%. God's going, wow, man, that's just, congratulations, that's great. This man is telling the Lord how good he is. He obviously hasn't heard the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> Notice the tax collector. Notice the sinner next in verse 13. Jesus says, but, but the tax collector, he's standing far off. He, he wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven. His eyes are down. His face is in the dirt. And he keeps striking his chest. Isn't this interesting? He says, God, please have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. He confesses he's a sinner. Key point number one. The sinner asks for nothing but mercy. Notice this, guys. The sinner asks for nothing but mercy. And notice the result in verse 14. Jesus says, I tell you this, not the Pharisee. Not the professional religious businessman. Uh-uh. The sinner went home justified. The sinner went home forgiven. For those who exalt themselves, they will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. God always gives us choices, doesn't he? We have a choice, humility or humiliation. Verse 7, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. All right. All right, Lord, we're good at asking. What should we ask for? Now, here's where our prosperity preacher friends have a field day. Because they're not asking for daily bread. They're asking for daily bread. Y'all with me? Verse 7 is not a blank check for health and wealth. How do we know for sure, though? Well, remember that even though we go really slow through the scriptures here, we want to make sure that we remember the, the larger overall context of each verse. The immediate context is the Sermon on the Mount. The larger context is in Matthew's gospel. Verse 7, it can't be about possessions. It can't be about money because just a few moments earlier, Jesus taught about possessions and money, right? In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. And as Jesus was preaching this sermon, it's only a, a matter of moments before he, he gets from money and possessions to this text on asking, seeking, and knocking. So is Jesus contradicting himself here? Do you guys know that Scripture never shows anyone praying for happiness? The Bible never tells us to pray for happiness. Additionally, God's word never promises that we're going to be happy on earth. It does promise, however, that, that God will make us holy. He's going to make us holy. 
And it's only through God's holiness to where we, we will find true human happiness. And the Bible calls that joy. Big difference. You guys remember that country song in the 90s? Garth Brooks, Unanswered Prayers? You don't remember it? Sing it for us. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. Mm. Nobody remembers that song? Okay, all right. Um, aren't you glad that, that God didn't answer Many of your prayers, dare I say most of our silly little prayers over the past few years or even the decades as you, as you look behind you. So if we're not supposed to ask for stuff, what are we supposed to, to ask for? Well, stay tuned. We're going to come back around to that here in a moment. So Jesus says in verse 7, he says, seek and you will find. Seek. That's the same Greek verb that's in Matthew 6.33. That's why this is so important. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So the idea here is to look for, it's to desire, it's to investigate. It's to strive for the thing that we're actually asking for. Brings us to key point number two. Asking plus action equals seeking. Action plus, uh, excuse me, Asking plus action equals seeking. So seeking does involve our asking, yes, but, but asking alone, that's not sufficient. We need to do something. So for example, a, a disciple should not only pray for a deeper understanding of Scripture, uh, he needs to actually read the Scriptures. If we ask the Lord to help us find a job, we are not to sit around and, and wait for the phone to ring. It, it is our responsibility, right, to, we got to get busy. Uh, we got to join God in that prayer. Um, God will do what he promises to do. But guys, he's not going to do what is our responsibility. We are to be active, not passive in our prayer life. And we see here how Jesus is using a progression. Verse 7, he goes on to say, knock. Knock and the door will be opened. So key point number three. Asking plus action, plus persevering equals knocking. We have to ask. We got to do something. We have to, there has to be an action on our part, and we can't give up. They're, they're persevering, that, that equals knocking. The, the knocking picture, this is an obstacle that's in your way. Just when you thought you were going to get that job, bam, the door shuts. So what are you supposed to do? You got to start all over, right? You got to get on your face. You got to start praying again and ask the Lord Jesus what to do next. Evidently, God didn't want you to have that job. Even though you just thought, maybe this is the perfect job. Evidently, it wasn't. So you pray, and after you're done praying, you get busy again, right? You fill out more resumes. You make more phone calls. You keep on knocking. Verse 8. Jesus says, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So we also see the heart of, of a heavenly father here in verse 8. God promises to answer your prayers. He promises. 
Everyone who asks receives. Now, please remember who Jesus' audience is here. He is, he is speaking directly to his disciples. There are a lot of other people listening, but his sermon is for his disciples. So therefore, the promise that Jesus makes here is only for believers. Those who are not God's children, you can't come to God the Father as a child. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? Those who refuse to believe the gospel, they are strangers. They are not family. I mean, how weird would it be, gentlemen, for you to be eating one day, eating with some friends, and all of a sudden this random child just runs up to you and says, Daddy! Daddy! He grabs a hold of you and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Sorry, kid. You're cute, but I'm not your daddy. I don't know who you are. However, because we are family, Jesus teaches that we are not only to pray with persistence, but also with confidence. So if you're a child of God this morning, and the only way we become children of God is through faith in Christ alone. Faith alone in Christ alone, right? Look at this amazing promise in verse 8. Jesus says, for everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. So what's our first response when we hear this? Well, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've asked for a lot of things. I've sought them out. I've even knocked until my knuckles are bare. And I haven't received any of them. So how can Jesus make that promise? Well, I do think that when many of us, we look back on our prayer life here, we find that, that many of us have taken this scripture out of context and we've ignored the other teachings on prayer uh, in scripture. Or maybe we've, just, we, we've gone to God with the wrong attitude, or maybe we see God as this cosmic vending machine in our lives. And when our prayers... Or maybe I should say our demands are not instantly answered in the exact way that we want them answered, right? We get disappointed. Sometimes we fall into, into depression on, on this. Sometimes we, we may even despair, which actually, this is dangerous because it puts us in a, a worse place than before. I mean, what's the point of praying, of getting our hopes up that God's going to solve this problem when he doesn't? So when Jesus preaches these words, look at them now in verses 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus gives three things to do, and then he makes a threefold promise. Now, I'm guessing the disciples are looking a bit skeptical at this point. Kind of like y'all looking at me right now, looking a bit skeptical. So Jesus thinks to himself, oh, you don't believe me, huh? Okay, verse 9. Well, who among you, if his son asking for bread, will give him a stone? I mean, this question is absolutely absurd. It, it truly is. 
the context here around the, the Sea of Galilee, there were flat stones that looked like um, the flat cakes of bread that the Israelites would make. Now, can you imagine your little boy telling you that he's hungry and you give him a stone instead of bread? Here you go, boy, chew on this and be quiet. Can you imagine doing that? Verse 10, or if he asks for a fish, you give him a snake. Oh, you didn't like the stone, huh? Have a fish. But it's not a fish. It's a snake or it's an eel. Now, we all know very few fathers are that cruel to their children. Jesus mentions this cruelty in verse 11. He says, if you then are evil. Notice the, notice the personal pronoun here, you. Je Jesus is calling his disciples evil. He's also referring to me and you, by the way. He, why does Jesus do this? Why does he say, if you then are evil? Jesus excludes himself from this conversation. And the reason that he does that is because he's not just a tad bit more moral than his disciples. Jesus is not only a man called Jesus of Nazareth, a human. Jesus is also the son of God. He excludes himself because he is Lord. Jesus is God wrapped up in flesh and bone and skin. Have you ever thought about this? Jesus is the same person that walked in the Garden of Eden looking for Adam and Eve after they sinned. Genesis 3.8. Jesus is the same person who spoke with Abraham before he destroyed Sodom. Genesis chapter 18. Jesus is the same person who stood before Joshua as a warrior. Josh, he didn't recognize him. So, so Joshua says, are you for us or are you against us? Jesus says, neither. You're on my team. Jesus is the same person who called Gideon into service in, in Judges chapter 6. All through the Old Testament, we see the pre-incarnate Jesus show up. And as we fast forward through the entire Old Testament, we get to the Gospels. And in John 1, the Apostle John writes this. In the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He, verse 2, He, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. Verse 3, all things were created through Him. That's Jesus. And apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. So what's, what's the Apostle John talking about? What's he pointing to here? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God, this is the Yahweh God, God the Father, God the Son, that's the Lord Jesus, and, and God the Holy Spirit. They created the heavens and the earth. So all that to say this, Jesus makes a profound theological distinction here, and we don't want to miss it. Key point number four, Jesus relates in our weakness as a human, but not in our sinfulness as God. Jesus relates in our weakness as a human, but not in our sinfulness as God. So Jesus, yes, he takes on our sinfulness. 
He pays the price for our sin, but Jesus is sinless himself. He's holy. We're not. And not only are we not holy, Jesus calls us, the the entire human race, mankind, he calls us evil. We are morally sick. We are reminded of our sickness every single day. Really, now more than ever, aren't we? The sickness is a a moral, incurable disease called sin. And we can only call God our Father because of the the blood-stained cross and that empty grave. That's the only solution to this disease. Everyone else who doesn't believe in this penal, substitutionary atonement of Jesus, they have another father. And Jesus explains this in the, in the Gospel of John. John chapter 8, verse 42. Jesus said to them, if, if God were your father, you would love me. See, Jesus is teaching right now, and it, the crowd is hostile. He said, you would love me because I came from God, and I'm here. For I didn't come on my own, but the Father sent me. Why don't you understand this? Ah, because you cannot listen to my word. In verse 44, this is a great way to, for church, a church growth exercise, right? He says, you are of your father, the devil. And he's not kidding. He says, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar. He's the father of lies. And yet, because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. Who among you can convict me of sin? So in other words, am I a sinner? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? And then verse 47, Jesus says this. The one who is from God listens to God's words. And this is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. Guys, this passage reveals one of the many, many reasons Jesus calls us evil. The reality of who we are, the reality of of where we are destined for eternity, it flies in the face of what the world says, flies in the face of, of what many, many... YouTube preachers say that we're basically good people. Everyone gets to heaven because, you know, God is love. He's just love. He just loves everybody. So don't miss this profoundly true theological statement here. In verse 11, he says, If you then who are evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your children... Well, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? So we as inherently wicked men and women, right? We might do good things. Even a broken clock is is correct twice a day. We might stumble across some things that we've done that are good. We might give good gifts to our children. Food, clothing, shelter, love. But here's the reality. At the root of everything that we are, at the root of everything we say and we do, mankind, all of us, 
We are fundamentally evil, and there's not a thing we can do about it. Scripture tells us that before we were born, we were physically born, we were conceived in sin. Psalm 51. We were conceived in sin before we even had a choice to sin. We were sinners. So Jesus' point is this. Even though human parents are sinful, they generally know how to care for their children's needs. They do good things. So even though we are wicked to the core, that doesn't mean that we can't and won't do good things. But look what Jesus says here in verse 11. With all that context now, he says, How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So in other words, how much more will the heavenly Father who is not evil, he's perfectly good, give his disciples good things? The Heavenly Father will not disappoint His children. This goes all the way back through the Old Testament. We we see a glimpse of this here from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 49, 14. Zion, so that's another name for Israel. The nation of Israel, they're complaining again. They say, the Lord has abandoned us. The Lord has forgotten us. And the Lord responds in the next verse. He says, Hey, guys, can a woman forget her nursing child or lack compassion for the child of her womb? It's possible. So he says, even even if these forget, I won't. I will not forget you. So, dear friends, please be encouraged. Please be encouraged this morning that your Heavenly Father is taking care of you this morning. You may not feel it. You may not even believe that. But please know that God is bigger than your feelings. He is bigger than your anxiety. Back to verse 11. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things? To give good things to those who ask. Circle that in your Bible, good things. And and the question is, what are these good things? And it's with this question that we want to circle back to where we started. In verse 7. What is the it in verse 7? Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Is the it in verse 7, is that the thing that you're asking for? Or is it something that God is trying to give to you? We don't know. In Matthew's text, we don't know. Matthew doesn't say, right? So we've got two options to find out. We can either say, well, I'm going to place my opinion on the text, which is never a good thing to do. People do this all the time, and they say, well, I think this is what it means to me. That's a very, very, very bad plan. Please don't do that. The other option is to look, to to turn to more scripture, to see what, what other places Scripture has to say about this particular thing. Remember that by doing that, Scripture explains itself with more Scripture. And one of the reasons that we become so disappointed and disillusioned in our prayer life is that we're praying for the wrong things. And we're all human. We all do it, right? We all got a bad case of the normals when it comes to our prayer life. 
But the problem, guys, is, is when we start praying for the wrong things, we're always going to be disappointed with the answer. We're always going to be disappointed with our prayer life. So the key to understanding the it in Matthew's gospel actually comes from Dr. Luke. So let's turn over to the gospel of Luke here. Luke 11, verse 5. Jesus says, suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread, and you say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I've got nothing to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom. Keep in mind, this is midnight. This guy's in bed. His family is physically in, his, in the same bed. They all sleep together. He says, come on, man, don't bother me. The door, you know, the, the door is locked. My family and I, we're, we're in bed. We're sleeping. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for his friendship's sake, if you keep knocking... Notice the condition there. If you keep knocking and you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and, and give you whatever you need <laughs> because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, look at that, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You fathers, if, if, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? If they ask for an egg, are you going to give them a scorpion? Well, of course not. You're not going to do that. So if you, sin, if you're, if you, you sinful people, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The it in Matthew's gospel, ask and it will be given to you, is the Holy Spirit. The it is somewhat misleading to us because we don't speak Greek. The it is not referring to what we're praying for. It's what God wants to give you. It's called a divine passive. This is so fun. A divine passive, right? It, it means, this is what it means. Ask God, asking God will give you what he deems is best. Ask, ask him. He loves you more than you could ever fathom. He doesn't want you to hurt yourself. So he's going to give you what he deems is best. So in other words, ask God for God's wisdom. Ask for God's righteousness. Ask for God's mercy and his patience and his grace. Ask for more of God. And it will be given to you. When we seek, I'm sorry, when we ask, when we seek, when we knock for God himself, God gives you himself. And a whole lot more. We learn this from the young King Solomon. He provides a great example here. I love this. 1 Kings 3.3. 3. Solomon loved the Lord, and he followed all the decrees of his father David. Except that Solomon, too, he, he offered sacrifices, and he burned incense at the local places of worship. So think Sedona. 
all right? Think new age. Think all of these things being mixed into his faith. He's doing the same exact thing. His faith is not pure. But look at this. In verse 5, even though his faith is not pure, that night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. And God said this, Solomon, what do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. Solomon replied, well, you've showed great love and faithful love to your servant, my, your servant, my father, David, because he was honest, he was true, he was faithful to you, and you have continued to show this great and faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, O oh Lord, my God, you have made me king instead of my father, but I am like this little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your chosen people, this nation. It's so great. It's so numerous. You can't even count all the people. Here's my prayer in verse 9. He says, give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and, and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon asked for wisdom. So God replied, Ah, because you've asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice, and you haven't asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies. I'm going to give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has had or will ever have. Verse 13, and I will also give you what you didn't ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you, Solomon, not for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and if you obey my decrees and my commands as your father, David, I will also give you a long life. It's a perfect example of asking, seeking, and knocking. And once you have this gift of God himself, back to our gospel text now in Matthew 7 verse 12, Jesus says, therefore... Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the law and the prophets. Therefore, because God is gracious, therefore, God is merciful. Therefore, because God, because you're a child of God, you're to give back the same grace and that same mercy that he's given you. Many of us know verse 12 as the golden rule. Did you know the golden rule wasn't invented by Jesus? Did you know that? In many other religions, it's stated in the negative form. Don't do to others what you don't want done to you. But what Jesus did, he's an optimist, right? So he, he turns this whole thing around and he, he restates it positively. And by doing so, Jesus makes it much more significant. Because if you really think about it, it's, it's not very hard to have enough self-control not to do harm to other people, it's a whole lot harder to go out of your way to love people, especially the people that you don't care for. The perfect love of the Heavenly Father 
is most reflected when his children treat others the same way we want to be treated. However, this, lo- this level of love, this divine love, it's not human. It's divine. It, it can only be achieved by having the Holy Spirit of Almighty God working in your life. So how do we, how do we really, in this crazy, in this chaotic world, how do we apply this to our lives today? How do we finish life well? Jesus gave us a, a threefold answer, right? Jesus tells us to ask for more of him. Stop asking for stuff. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. How do I live right from wrong? And then, in Matthew 6.33, he says, All of these things, all these things that I'm worried about this morning, all these things that are in the back of my mind, all these things that are weighing me down, all of those things will be added. They will be given to you by God himself. Ask for more of him to seek him, to seek the Lord. And we do that by by reading the word of God, uh, listening and maybe watching the word of God being explained. Uh, I know I harp on technology a lot and, and the evils of technology, but it can be used for good, right? And then we're to knock. Ask, seek, and knock. We want to finish life well. We're not to give up. It doesn't matter what obstacles are in our way. And if we don't give up, we really will experience God's grace, God's mercy, His patience, His kindness. It's simple, but it's not easy. Amen? And that's why you've got your crazy church family around you to love you through finishing life well. Father in heaven, what an amazing, uh, amazing passage of scripture through the Sermon on the Mount. We have so much to learn how to pray. In other parts of scripture, you tell us that, that we don't even know how to pray. You, you got to pray through us. We need to ask you how to pray and what to ask for. So, Lord, we pray that you would, would do that for us this particular week. We also pray, Lord God, that we would do our job as disciples. As we go about our lives here in the Verde Valley and, and we hear somebody reaching out spiritually. Father, give us the, the confidence and the boldness to dive into that conversation and to give people the hope that you've given to us. That this is not our best life now. That one is to come. And to pour into other people as you have poured into us. And by doing all of this, Lord God, we pray that we make you smile. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.